You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms, and if you like research like I do, Make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode with author Jessica Harris as we talk about freeing ourselves from sexual shame. Jessica does a beautiful job talking about this with women. And also I want men to tune in because I think along with our conversation, Matt Klein this week for men, we have so many through lines that we just understanding each other as spouses, as people, and understanding that this shame cycle can hit any of us is such a gift. So I invite parents, um, pastors, anybody to be listening to this, as well as even those who might be kind of saying, let me peek behind the curtain. Maybe I'm not a person of faith, but I want to know why do you think pornography is wrong? We talk about all of that here and we sit with it. We allow ourselves to sit in the in-between as well to see, well, what if somebody does want this and doesn't want to have sex before marriage, but they want to enjoy pornography or if their spouse doesn't uh, like to have sex with them, but they want to enjoy pornography. We talk about uh, the exploiting purposes of it and uh, all of, I'm going to let Jessica share her beautiful expertise there, but suffice it to say, we've all been touched by the harmful effects of pornography at some time or other. And it's just such a gift for Jessica to bring us back to true intimacy and true faith and true freedom today. We are just so blessed, especially because she's in the season of life where she could have just said an absolute no. She has littles, a brand new little. I'm just so honored she took this time with us. Uh, also, lots of years of experience having both walked through pornography addiction as well as now many years of not and how much different and healthier she has become. So I'm very thankful for you guys to get to tune in. I also want to say, sit with it. Like I said, take a couple deep breaths. If you're triggered by anything, of course, you don't have to listen. But if you can, we would love for you to hang in and listen because there's just so much richness here. I also want to give this quick caveat that I got from her after the episode that her husband, they're a four, three marriage. Um, in his three truth telling, we were talking about how whether he was somebody who really supported her with that truth telling. So that's what I figured. And she's like, oh my gosh, he was my biggest support. He Even during our podcast, he was taking the kids out. He was the one who got her to share the story and just encourage her, please do it. You're worth this. Uh, she talks on the episode about what she has encouraged him with. And it was just beautiful for me to see behind the curtain with her, uh, just with you to be able to say, wow, look what her type three husband did to inspire her to make this mark. And also he read through every chapter of her book. It was just a romantic moment for me to see that the type three has that capacity too. So if you're a three listening or with a three, that's common type. Know that we are rooting for you to be an awesome spouse of support and encouragement, and you can help people's dreams to come true. So I just had to share that with you. And let's talk to Jessica, whatever your type. This episode is not just Enneagram based at all. It is mostly just about sexual shame and how to surrender uh, to community and to uh, the truth and to the freedom that can come when you share and when you let go of the shame. Okay, let's talk to Jessica. Jessica, we are so honored and grateful to have you on the EM pod today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. 
Oh, we were just really reflecting before we got on about how you're just in this season of life. We're ending summer vacations. You're uh, just also having a little one. Congratulations on your newest. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just extra, extra grateful to have you because we know you are in the throes of it and you're sharing with us. So we appreciate you so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, um, my name is Jessica. I am married to an army chaplain and, uh, we have three little ones under the age of four (laughs) now. So that is my days are spent, uh, making sure that the two big sisters don't smother their little brother with Uh their big sisterly affection. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is seriously, um, so cute. And also I know very overwhelming at times. Yes. Very much so. (laughs) Don't know anything about that at all with two daughters and a son underneath. And I will tell you, they're still smothering him. (laughs) So so I love that you um, bring that season to us of that reminiscing for those who are ahead or maybe those looking ahead that, you know, you're an author, you're doing your thing, but you're also in the throes of it yourself. That's real life and real marriage, right? Right, right. Yes. (laughs) Yes, oh my gosh. And tell us a little bit about your Enneagram type. I think our audience are very curious about that always. So I am um, a four wing five. So I, I have very big emotions <laughs> and like, and I become my emotions. I'm not sure um, if that's a good way of putting it, but like, I just become my, <laughs> like I become sadness or I become happiness. Like, and, and then it takes me a few minutes to to kind of regulate myself out of that. Um, and it's funny because I think my oldest daughter is, is the same way. So sometimes her big emotions trigger my big emotions and then we have issues, but, uh, so I'm a four wing five and I believe, um, my husband, I haven't convinced him to, to do the test yet, but I'm pretty positive. He's actually a three wing two. So he's very like down to earth and like, keep it together, but still very compassionate. And so it's, it's fun to see our dynamic because I have very big emotions and he like hides his in a box somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I always have to go find them. <laughs> oh yes. You make it your mission as a four wing right. five. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, but I, of course, I think that our audience knows this, but as a reminder, some of them don't that often, like you said, there's the depths of sadness or sorrow or lament, but you also come into spaces of passion, spaces of joy. And I bet Mm -hmm. he loves that part too, that you have the ability to help him from the three workspace into some of the joy and the, uh, the pacing that is a little slower sometimes for a four that we can be invited into. Yes. Yes. It's one of the things when we first got married, he is very driven, right. And obviously being in the military, like feeds into that. Right. So Mm -hmm. He would work until like 11 o'clock at night and <laughs> I'm not about that life. You know, like, yeah. I'm like, let me, let me get done what I want to get done. And then I want to go have fun. I want to go hike. I want to go do something fun. I want to be spontaneous. I want to, yeah. like, and um, he did not know what to do with that at first. And I had to like convince him that this is fun. Like this is, <laughs> we can do fun things. Like you're allowed to have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's still something that, that we work on, but he learned like, oh, it is okay to be done with work at five or six. Oh, it is okay to like go out and do something. And this actually is kind of a a fun time. And uh, Mm. so it's been, it's been a fun journey of our, 
of our marriage, just balancing each other out in that way. Yeah. How beautiful that you speak to the, the liveness of this all, you know, that we like Mm -hmm. to process here where you're like, it's real that of course we rub and we have shadows, but we also join and bring, and now he has a new skill from you. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Well, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to professionally lately. We're going to be talking about your wonderful book, quenched. And I really want to hear from you how you would describe that to us and what we might uh, learn about your journey. I'm Mm -hmm. sure we'll get into details too, but. Um, Yeah. So quenched is um, the whole book title is quenched discovering God's abundant grace for women struggling with pornography and sexual shame. Um, And my heart in writing that comes from my own story. I was a uh, I am a woman, obviously, but um, <laughs> I grew up in the church and ended up um, becoming exposed to and addicted to pornography and struggled with a lot of shame. And obviously being an emotive type, like that was like yeah. big shame yeah. <laughs> and absolutely debilitating mm. and just feeling mm. like I can never get out of this. I can never be free. I, I'm never going to be worth anything. I'm never going to be loved by anybody. A lot of negative nevers. and. Um, I did find freedom and I have found an, a, an amazing life. God has given me an, a, a, an amazing life, husband and kids and all the things I ever dreamed of. And I just, I've been working in this space of ministering to Christian women since 2009. So for over 14 years now, and I just really wanted to create a resource that was what I would say to them if we were sitting across from each other, you know, like if we were sitting across from each other, having coffee, what would I want that woman to know who's struggling? And what I would want her to know is that there is absolutely grace for her and that God's heart for her is not one where he's frustrated or angry or that he's disgusted with her, but one where she is desired and where he longs for her to have freedom, not to get herself free, right? Like not to figure it out herself, but where he longs for her to experience the freedom that he has already given her Mm -hmm. and that there's grace for her and that there's hope for the future for her. And so I took all of that and kind of put it into the message of quenched, which Mm -hmm. is a walk through John four and Jesus and the woman at the well. And it incorporates some of my story and stories of other women I've worked with as well. And just walks Mm -hmm. the reader through that journey from the perspective of the woman at the well what would this look like to have this interaction with Jesus and what is Mm -hmm. God's heart for that woman who's struggling and buried in shame and just feeling Mm -hmm. so lost and alone and hopeless. How can he set her free? Mm. Wow. That is a very powerful message and so beautiful and so in line with what we love to talk about here on this pod. For those listeners who may not be sharing the Christian faith with us, um, what would you say as a brief recap about Jesus and the story at the woman of the well? Yeah. So in John chapter four, we have the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, and Jesus is with his disciples and he is walking through um, an area known as Samaria, which is not typical, wasn't typical for Jews to walk through Jewish and Samaritan. Um, There's like a racial and ethnic divide there. And there's a bit of, of tension between those two people groups where they want, the Jews want nothing to do with the Samaritans. And so Jesus walks through Samaria on his way back 
um, from somewhere that he's going, which isn't typical. Normally they would have gone around, but he walks back and he's at a well. The disciples go into town and this Samaritan woman comes out um, to draw water from the well. Mm-hmm. It's high noon. Um, so it's not no- a normal time. And she's by herself, which is also not mm-hmm. typical. And normally this is a I mean, think about how we are as women. Like we don't even go to the bathroom by ourselves. Like We always take a friend. And so um, this is normally a social opportunity for the women at the time. They would all kind of go out together and draw mm-hmm. water together. So she's by herself and mm-hmm. different scholars will say that this is because she's trying to avoid interacting with other people. And so that's the the framework that I take it from in this narrative of, This is a woman who's struggling with shame and you find out further in the story that the reason is because she's been married multiple times for reasons that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that the man that she was currently living with is not her husband. And so there's a level of, she's breaking the sexual code of the day. Like if you're Mm -hmm. um, in Samaria, you still kind of obey some of the Jewish laws. There's still worship. There's still a belief in Messiah. There's still a code, if you will. And she has broken that. And the belief is like that shame from struggling with that or from living this lifestyle that she has, has kept her from experiencing community. And so here she is with Jesus Mm. Messiah, Mm -hmm. um, who should be the one to enforce any sort of worship and rule is meeting with her at the well. And he has a conversation with her where he offers her living water. And he tells Mm. her, listen, the water you're drawing from this well, it's, it's going to make, you're going to be thirsty again. Like you're, you're just going to be thirsty. So I'm going to offer you something that's going to spring up into you eternal life. And she's like, Hey, that sounds great. I want that. Give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming here anymore. And that's kind of the thing that I drill in on, on quenched because Mm he never promised her she wouldn't have to come. Like we need water for other things, right? We need water to wash clothes and cook. There's more than just drinking that happens with water. But here she is saying, please give me this water so that I never have to come here again. So I never have to walk this road by myself. So I don't have to feel this overwhelming shame. And Jesus speaks directly to that shame. He calls out, I know what you've done. I know what's going on. And I'm still offering you this water. And as the story continues, you find out that she ultimately is a, a religious woman who's struggling with this. Cause she asks about worship. Mm. Jesus does not berate her for asking about worship. He doesn't say, who are you to be asking about worship? You, okay. heathen. Um, right. Right. and then further on, she says, you know, Messiah is going to come and he's going to figure all this out. Mm. And Jesus says, I am Messiah. And so she, in the course of this story, realizes that this man who she's talking to, who is breaking gender barriers by talking to her, who is breaking culture barriers because he's Jewish talking to her, he's breaking all of the rules to Mm -hmm. talk to her. This man is what she's been hoping for this whole time. She's been longing Mm -hmm. for Messiah and that's who this is. And he still has offered her the living water. He never rescinded that. And mm-hmm. so that's the the stance I take. Whereas if you are a, a woman who's struggling with these things, even if you profess to know Jesus, he's not sitting there going, you failure, you hypocrite. I'm so disappointed in you. He's still offering himself to those women who struggle. Mm, 
the conversation is still open. And mm-hmm. I love that. And it, I'm really seeing it's not the country club imagery of the church members who are all perfect and shiny. It's people on the road, dusty, tired, exhausted, weary, needing refreshment, lonely, and also sinners, normal people who struggle. And even like you said with her, I love how you interpreted a bit there to say, She's wondering about, you know, like, we'll figure it out later. And we know that's scriptural. She does say that, you know, um, when the Messiah comes. And and so, like you said, there's some depth there. There's some sense of where are we in culture? What's going on? Can I get some clarity? And he invites her into that. And I love that you're reminding everyone listening, you're invited into that too, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Wow. So this is also breaking barriers that you would talk about this topic that a lot of people, even today, thousands of years later, don't want to talk about. Can you tell us why you think this topic isn't as um, touched on as much for women even today still? I think that there is still um, in the church, especially this imagery of kind of like this, this Virgin Mary imagery of the, of the Christian woman. Right. And we just have this idea, like the bride wears white, like Christian women are just, are just pure and holy and chaste. And they, they don't even think those things. And part of it comes from this narrative that we've had for decades now that like, I mean, how many times have you heard, well, men think about sex every five seconds, you know, or something along those lines. And my husband's like, that is not realistic at all. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or you hear things like, well, men, you know, need a release every three days. And my husband's like, also not realistic, but like, um, you have this, this message that men are essentially sexual animals, which isn't right to them and isn't fair to them. But on the, the flip side of that, you have this message that women aren't sexual beings at all. Like, Mm -hmm. right. And so it's like, it's like, we expect the men to awaken the woman's sexuality. And so when you have a woman who is struggling sexually outside of that, there isn't a, we don't have a framework for that because we've, we've got the wrong, we've got it wrong to begin with. Right. And so when we have a woman who's struggling, she doesn't fit into the narratives that we've built. And I think there's just this sense of denial really in the church. I worked as a I served as a Sunday school teacher for teen girls probably mm-hmm. 10 years ago mm-hmm. when I was just starting writing and starting to speak on the topic of women struggling with pornography, starting to share my story. And the pastor of that church came to me and told me that I was not allowed to share my story or mm-hmm. talk about those things with the girls in our Sunday school class oh. because he didn't want to rob them of their innocence. Mm. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the Sunday school class listening as these mm. girls talk about sleeping with their boyfriends, you know, sneaking around behind the church and sleeping with their boyfriends behind the church or like going into the sanctuary and seeing if they can like sleep together in the pews in the sanctuary. Like, oh, <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, yeah. the. I feel like sometimes church leadership is a little bit out of touch with mm. the struggles that their congregations have. And part of that, I think is just because it might be, it feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of churches aren't even really adequately addressing men struggling with these things. And so then you're walking up to them and saying, oh, also, yeah, <laughs> also you need to be talking about the women and yeah. a majority of church leadership is male. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's difficult for them to even understand why, because they've dealt with this narrative for so long of this is a man's problem. This is what men do. This is why men do it. 
Yeah. And now you're saying, but women do it too. Yeah. And they don't know how to work with that. They don't know how to talk about that. They don't know what to do with that information. So it's always easier just to go, well, not in my church, not in my church. And I don't have to worry about it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about the backlash of members who um, I know when I've taught in environments where I was teaching classics and my dad went through this too, when he was teaching classics that sometimes people are just upset and there's a lot more censorship. And, you know, I'm not saying nothing needs to be censored, but there are things that are important to be discussed and lead Mm -hmm. to great in-depth conversations, but we're also different, right? And we have kids Mm -hmm. who are dysregulated differently. So I think that you're really, uh, I think there's some kindness that you're also showing to the church to say a lot of these people don't know whether to turn right or left or what to do because they're overwhelmed in leadership. So I think your book is an invitation in that way and your story to say uh, you don't have to ignore it. There are ways that you can process this. And more importantly, it is going on whether you want to admit it or not, right? Right. Yes. One of the things that I, when I first started wanting to write Quench, the Quench has been a dream in my heart for over 10 years now. It was when I was reflecting on the story of the woman at the well and realizing that it's more than just Jesus being a living water, right? Like that's the Sunday school version of it. That's what we color on our coloring books. But the there's a depth to the story that was never talked about. And I remember thinking, man, if I had been teenage me sitting in church and someone had just incorporated into that sermon, oh, this is a woman who is struggling with you know sexual things and Jesus still loved her and Jesus mm-hmm. still offered himself to her. Like how freeing would that have been for me just to have that little piece of truth. And it's not like you're not extrapolating the story too much. Like you're just, this is the story. Yeah. And I think sometimes we just dumb it down because we don't want to, you know, take people's innocence. But what you're really doing is when you say these things, you're setting people free. Like when you have these conversations, you're not destroying people, you're freeing them. And I think that's a helpful switch for people to make that it's not a bad thing to talk about what people are really going through. Oh, that's such a beautiful reminder that we're freed from that shame when we connect with Christ, when we connect with others. We're no longer alone and in the dark, but we have invited light and hope in. Like you said, like this is a story that is ancient and it's been going on for both men and women. And you're not alone if that's you, listener, right now struggling. Um, and also, I love that we can pour into younger people with this too, because like you said, this was on your heart for a while. I also read on your blog how you said, you know, you were just writing to get things off your chest too for a while. And mm-hmm. how beautiful that uh, you saw a need come to you. There was people thirsty for this, right? Right. Yes. Yes. I started my blog more as like a, like church, you got this wrong and I'm so mad. And, okay. <laughs> and here's my story. And then like, it completely changed to, wow, there's actually women out there who are hurting mm. and who need this. And there are pastors out there who are completely overwhelmed by the idea that women struggle with this. Um, Mm. There are pastors who are fathers and they're going, please don't tell me that this is something that my, my baby girl could be struggling with. It is, you know, and and realizing that it's not, the conversation isn't happening out of malice. Like it's not in a, well, we're not going to talk about this. It's really just ignorance. Like it's not understanding that this is an issue. And so helping people understand actually it is, And this is how you approach it in a way that's gracious. This is how you help people find freedom. This is how you set them in free. Mm. Um, It's been a privilege to kind of steward that message. 
Mm, I'm so glad. And I love that you see it that way. And it is very important. So it's essential that people really um, open their eyes to what's already going on. And I know this from the teen girls I mentor, especially the more passionate type eights that just say, hey, what do you do when you're struggling with masturbation? And, you know, there are big things happening. And I also want to just even one step back for those people who again, may not know or have thought this out with you, or, you know, this has been a specialty and become one of yours and, and you've come through it with such success. Why do you think the message even carries for these individuals who might be on the other side of the polarization to say, what's wrong with teen girls delving in to porn? And, and why is that not a healthy route for marriage? What do you usually say when you get that question? If you get that question? Oh, no, I get it all the time. Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think it's important to to understand that what we consume changes us and it affects us, whether we understand that or not. And whether that's like in any way, like food, obviously we know that affects us, but media does too. And so whether that's social media and what we're letting influencers, what influencers are letting influence us, that's why they're called influencers, right? (laughs) Um, But even things like pornography, I get the argument of, Hey, I'm a teenager. Like this is a safe expression of my sexuality. Cause that's what I believed, right? When I first was exposed, I believed that. And so I dove head in thinking this is the middle ground. Like this is, I'm not sleeping with anybody, but I'm able to express myself Mm. and I'm like, I'm not going to have to worry about getting pregnant. I'm not going to worry about STDs. I'm still going to be a virgin on my wedding day. It seemed like win, 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 like all around. This is perfect. And so I get that argument. I get the whole, I want to be free to express myself. I want to be free to enjoy this. I want to be free, but it's not freedom. And I didn't find that out until years into it when I tried to stop and I couldn't Mm -hmm. stop. Mm -hmm. When you cannot stop something, you are no longer free, right? Like if I'm not free to choose something anymore and it's being basically chosen for me, I no longer have freedom. And then, um, when I was 17, and this isn't part of my story that I share often, but when I was 17, I actually sent nude images to somebody. Mm. And this is back before like it was a thing, right? This is yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm older. So like it's not yeah. <laughs> this is not part of the recent wave of sexting. Like this was back before cell phones even existed. So yeah. I sent images via webcam to somebody, and mm. it seems liberating in the moment, right? It seems like I am in control of my sexuality. I have owned it. No one can tell me what to do with it. Blah, 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 all this stuff. But I can tell you now, 20 years later that I wasn't free. That wasn't, that didn't free me. That wasn't freedom. Now there are pictures of 17 year old me out there that I have no control over. And that's not fair. You know, (laughs) like it's not liberating. It's not, I, I didn't get power by sending out those pictures. I lost it. So I think it's important for young women to realize that this, what you are doing does affect and does change and will influence you. It'll influence your views on sex and how that works. It'll influence your views on intimacy and how important that is. It will influence your body image. It will influence what you view in relationships is what's important and what's not. Mm -hmm. It will influence your image of your own self. So not just your body, but your person and how you Mm -hmm. view yourself. Like 
when I sent pictures to somebody, I became a body to them and they didn't care what my favorite color was. They didn't care what I enjoyed doing. They didn't care what made me laugh or what made me cry. None of that mattered to them. I became a body and you buy that narrative long enough and Mm. you will be struggling and you'll be hurting and you'll believe that you don't have worth and you don't have value outside of your, your sexual desirableness to random people. And that's not truth. (laughs) And that's not, um, that's not what you want to bring into a marriage. Obviously that's not the, Mm -hmm. the belief that you want to bring in about yourself. And that's something that I've, I've been free from pornography for years, but I still see its effects every now and then, especially since getting married, I had a panic attack Mm. um, weeks before my wedding because I realized, oh my goodness, I'm actually going to have like, have to actually like sleep with somebody (laughs) and it didn't for all of those years that I was like, oh, I'm, you know, sexually driven. And like, I, I can't wait when it came down to, oh, like I actually have to do this. It was, there was this, I was terrified. Yeah, wasn't and I helpful went to, and preparatory and all. No, it, at all, at all. And I actually had to seek out a, a counselor and she looked at me and she said, you need to understand that like what's happened is your years of viewing pornography have actually like been a form of sexual trauma. And so she's like, you have essentially experienced sexual trauma and you need to come at this from the perspective of someone who has experienced sexual trauma as opposed to someone who's like sexually empowered, you know, and that's what we think happens when you watch pornography and do all this stuff, you become sexually empowered. But she says, no, you really need to view it as somebody who's been sexually exploited or who has been traumatized by sex. Cause there's healing that has to happen there to be able to walk into a healthy relationship. Right. right. And as you earlier echoed, there was a lot of people exposed from very young ages. I know I was, and I think that it's really hard to come back from that if you've got the imagery in your mind. And like you said, now you're being invited into this middle ground of go ahead and explore whatever you want. Um, and there's a sense of not enough boundaries for people who brains are not done developing. And right. whether whatever age you are, now we have the added issues of AI. We have the added issues of the um the the whole violence 80% I recently read of porn is violence based. So now we have lack of intimacy even more. Um, so I just really appreciate you inviting us into seeing and opening our eyes, even just good refresher for me here, why it's not a good middle ground. Right. Yeah. Mm, thank you so much. And I I don't experience or practice pornography, but I I really like to think things through. So that really blesses me. Thank thank you. Um, and I hope many out there, I think so. Um, tell us a little bit about um, this, this quote you gave about perfection and freedom. You talk about how we experience God's love first, and then we experience freedom. And you touched on that a little bit earlier, but that really spoke to me. Yeah. So I grew up in a church system that was very rules-based. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, my experience with God was kind of like, he was part of your checklist, right? So yeah we went to church every Sunday and it was like a production. Like you would get up, you'd put it on your Sunday best and you would go to church. And we were there for two or three hours on Sunday morning. And then you go back home for lunch and then you come back to church in the evening. And God was kind of this ritual and this set of rules. And if you didn't wear the right clothes to church, you were frowned upon. If you missed church one Sunday or one Wednesday, it was a, a bad thing. And so 
I kind of grew up believing that God just expected perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have my biological father um, was abusive, which is not helpful either. Yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of cemented that narrative of like, okay, I just have to be perfect for everybody. My dad had a very short temper. Um, one of my memories is like learning to draw the letter O when I was four years old. And whenever I didn't close the loop and make it a perfect circle, he would flick me on the chin. And so Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. level of, you have to get it right. You have to do these things and then you will be accepted and then you will be loved. So when my dad left our family and abandoned me, like Mm -hmm. it was like, I didn't do good enough. And so I just, I carried that narrative into my relationship with God of, wow, if my dad can be Mm. so short tempered and so, you know, needing perfection, then obviously that's what God is. And God is this short tempered, frustratable, needing you to be absolutely perfect. And it makes sense because I have to do all these, like I have to be church and do the dress codes the right way. And I have to memorize the verses the right way. And so it all kind of fit in my head. So when I struggled with pornography, it was like, oh, great. Like Mm -hmm. I have, I have messed up super big and there's no way God wants anything to do with me until I get this cleaned up until I get my act together. Mm -hmm. And so I was still believing like I have to fix myself in order to be lovable in order to be worthy of love. And I think that's one of the messages of shame. That's a, that's a shame message. That's not a, that's not a Jesus message, right? That's, that's shame saying there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And until you fix it, you are not worthy of relationship. You are not worthy of love. You are not worth even being known because you Mm. have messed up so big Mm. and that's not God. That's not the message of grace. That's not the message of the gospel. Um, the message of the gospel and of grace is I know you're messed up. <laughs> like yeah. I know that you are messed up and I absolutely love you anyway. And mm-hmm. I am fighting for your freedom. Like mm-hmm. that God is fighting for our freedom. God has fought for our freedom and that he's not sitting back expecting us to get ourselves together first. Mm-hmm. And I think that message is so freeing for women. If they could understand, Hey, you are not alone in this. Like God loves you where you are and with whatever you're struggling with. He's not expecting you to fix it first. Like he wants to help you. That in and of itself is such a freeing message to know that I am loved, mm. that regardless of, of what I have done or what I am doing or what I'm struggling with mm. is a huge portion of, of freedom, at least for me. <laughs> and maybe that's just my type talking, but like, no. it's at least, a, it's a big deal for me to know that no matter what I struggle with, and even that carries in, even as a mom, um, I struggle with anger and I lash out at my kids and I go, Oh my goodness. Like that's my dad coming through. You know, that's, that's my dad like creeping up in me and Oh no, like I'm, I'm a failure. And then my kids are going to grow up traumatized by like, you know, my brain just goes. Oh, right? yeah. so, oh I get that girl. <laughs> so even knowing in those moments, okay, yeah, I'm struggling with this but God still loves me and he's still on my side and he's going to help me work through this. I'm not alone. I'm not being left alone to figure this out for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a powerful message for women, for any one of us to understand. Mm. Yes. Oh my goodness. And I think that although we're specifically talking about women and we have another show this week for men, this is a message for all of us. 
And I think that you're even reminding us when we think about the generational ties, I think of how you were like, I can negatively chain. And I thought, yeah, the chains go back and it's, it is chaining, you know, it is not freedom. It is, we chain all the way back generation upon generation. And, and so instead of even chaining them, we are reminded into, I'm going to be the one in this family line to break the chains. I'm going to be the one to accept God's message in Exodus 14, 14, you know, that you are free and that God will fight for you. And I'm sure there's something that was very restful about that after years of you trying to be perfect and then hiding in shame to just come into God's rest a bit more. And I bet that's when you got some of the most beautiful aspects of type four, right? (laughs) Yes. 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 When, um, I, I really struggled with like severe, like swings and emotion. And they were always like a lot of negative, like I would, a lot of anxiety, a lot of just like, Oh, everything's going to go wrong. And, and then I feel it like in all of my bones. (laughs) So um, just being able to go like, wow, it is okay. That, um, that I, that I feel this way. And that's not, God's not expecting me to feel differently right now. You know, he's not like, stop feeling sad. Just get up and get over it. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Just be happy. You know, that's not the message that God has for me. Like he still loves me even in this feeling of sadness. And so I don't have to, I don't have to bottle that up. Cause I feel like for years I just bottled, bottled, bottled until like, up, and wow. then it would be this explosive, mm-hmm. um, very dramatic moment. And those have evened out where I am. Like you said before, able to just experience joy in all of its fullness. And yes, and there are days where I, I feel sadness in, yeah. a, in a lot of fullness and knowing that God is loving me and holding me through both of those has been such a, a comfort and a source mm. of healing. Wow. And that really allowed, I, I don't think, I think every type runs from the sad feelings in different ways, even fours when they get into the melancholic thoughts. And what you just said really reminded us when we're doing our work with God and ourselves, um, we are invited into actually feeling the sadness like you do sometimes. You are allowed to sit there and be sad. And there's an entire book called Lamentations. And I'm glad that you're just allowing people that space. And also, like you said, to emerge, to know that they won't last forever, those feelings. Um, but uh, but yeah, the extremes, we get it. Sometimes they're there still. But yet, like you said, overall, it's been beautiful to see this long walk of freedom Tell us what women, um, and I know the the big answer I think is going to be with the beautiful way you share um, that everyone just needs to read your book. But one more question before we get there. What do you think you would say to a woman saying, do you have a tip or two for me? I'm struggling right now. Yeah. So um, the first thing I would tell her is like an, an action and the action would be to, to tell somebody um, because shame just thrives in silence and secrecy. Mm. And so whatever you're struggling with, like I struggled with postpartum depression after my first was born and I never told anybody. And, mm. and I told my husband looking back on it after my second was born. And I realized like, Oh, I shouldn't have felt that way. And I thought something was wrong, but I didn't tell anybody because I was mm. so embarrassed and so ashamed thinking like, I'm supposed to love Jesus. I shouldn't be struggling this much, but um, so whatever your struggle is, if there's that level of where you're feeling like, oh, I can't tell anybody this, then that's exactly what you need to do because mm-hmm. that's, Good. that is shame trying to cut you off from community and trying to cut you off from relationship. And we need that. We need 
healing and freedom happens in community. It happens in relationship with other people. And so you can go to war with shame almost in a sense easier than you can go to war with whatever you're struggling with. So whether that's pornography or whatever, um, the more important thing is that you go to to war with shame because you might put password protectors on your computer. You might download softwares and whatnot. But if you still are hiding, then you're not pursuing freedom. You're just pursuing mm-hmm. stopping. And so mm-hmm. you want to start chasing after freedom. And the way you do that is you begin to tear down the wall that shame has built between you and the people around you. And so mm-hmm. I encourage women to find somebody safe that you can tell. Um, and if you say, well, nobody is safe, then either you need better relationships or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or your, your perspective is just off and you're just afraid um, that nobody, you feel like nobody is safe and you have to work through that then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage women, find somebody that you can tell. And they don't have to know what to do with this information. And you can tell them that at the beginning, like, listen, I'm not expecting you to fix this. I'm not expecting you to have an answer for this. I just need somebody to know this about me because I'm tired of hiding and I'm tired of being not known. And I need to know that I can kind of like we were just saying about sadness. Like I need to know that I can be struggling with this and that it doesn't make me less human. and doesn't like make me less of a friend or less of a wife or less of whatever, that relationship is with that person, um, that you just need them to respond in Mm -hmm. grace to, to what you're sharing with them. And then the second thing I would say, my second tip, I guess, is that there's hope. And at the beginning, when you're struggling, it is hard Mm -hmm. and it's hard to believe that life can be any different. And I get that. I get it when you wake up one day and you're like so bound and determined and you set down all of the rules and guidelines, kind of like your January 1st, you know, <laughs> I'm going to the gym and I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you do it great for two or three days. And then you just yeah. plummet and you, you fail and you can feel like, oh, I screwed up. Now I have to wait till next year. <laughs> um, yeah. But I would just encourage women. It can be hard at the beginning and there's very real ups and downs of, I felt victory today. I, I did it. And then you wake up the next day and you've, you completely fail. I found a journal page just a couple of weeks ago that I had ripped out of one of my journals from years ago that essentially said, I literally argued out loud with myself while I was trying to get a website to come up. Like that's what I wrote in my journal entry that I was arguing with myself while trying to get a website to work. And I was so disappointed in myself, but yet still doing it. Like you're going to go through this stage where it just feels so hard. Mm. But I promise you that on the other end of all of that work and the other end of all that healing and the other end of all that fighting, that there is this, there is this beauty and this grace and this goodness. I do not wake up every day afraid of pornography or worried about pornography or even thinking about pornography beyond the work that I do in my writing. It's not an issue for me. So that can happen. So I would tell women, that's your kind of your start and your end. You start by telling somebody, knowing that the end is that there can be this this beautiful freedom and this life that God has for you that's full of grace and goodness and mm. things that you might think are not even possible from where you're standing right now. Wow. And your book is all the pages in between. That's so cool. Oh, thank you. Such a gift to hear that hope-filled journey and to hear some of the deepest, hardest parts of it too. What a gift to all of us. I hope husbands are listening. I hope uh, wives are listening who 
who don't even have a struggle with pornography in this way that I want you to be ready to be friends to the people who come to you with this. Because increasingly, we are trying to activate voices, uh, voices of faith to be able to say what's really happening. And so uh, I have had many clients say, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want my spouse to share or somebody else to share because I like to stay in comfort or I like to uh, talk about what's light and fun. And so I just want to encourage you if somebody comes to you with that story, um, call it sacred and sit with it for a Mm -hmm. bit, even if it's just a few minutes, right? Yeah. One of the most powerful things that someone did when I first shared my story, she came to me and she said, Jessica, that was brave. Mm. And wow, that was so meaningful to me because brave was the last thing I would have ever called it. Like I was like, it's disgusting. It's horrible. It's, you know, <laughs> I had a whole list of other adjectives, but to, to frame it as something sacred or to frame it as something that's brave, that was brave to share that, um, mm. can be so meaningful for someone who is holding it. So it's such a fragile thing. It feels like. And so when you finally share it and someone says, wow, that's really brave. It helps you stand up a little straighter, you know, like it gives you a different narrative for yourself. Like, oh, I'm not a, a weirdo or a creep or I'm not defective. Wow. You're, you're telling me that I'm brave for sharing this. That gives them a different, a different way of looking at their struggle and looking at themselves. Yeah. It gave you so much hope. And and now look what you're doing from that seed that was planted. And now you're able to say, okay, this was, you know, obviously a beautiful turnaround for me that I got to now share it. So tell everybody where they can learn from you more. We have loved every minute with you today. We know how much it took from you. So I hope you get some good rest and fun today, but tell us about where we can find your book and all the rest. Yeah. So you can find everything um, at beggarsdaughter.com. There's links to my book there. I have Quenched, which is the book that just came out this year. Beggar's Daughter, which is my story. Um, Just like a memoir and more about my story written a few years ago. And then um, I also have some free resources there for if you're trying to figure out what your triggers are that are making you struggle. I have a resource for that as well as a study guide for Quenched is on the site as well. Oh my gosh. So cool. I just got that. So I was so grateful. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. And all of it's in the show notes, guys. So thank you, Jessica, so much for your time. That's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a gift. I kept using that same word with Jessica. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a wordsmith. She's going to kill me, but like, what a gift. <laughs> so I hope you felt that gift with me today. Um, but I really also hope more importantly that if you or somebody in your life is struggling with sexual sin um, and shame, that you will not feel like you're without grace, that you will not feel like you are without hope, that you will not feel like you can't talk to God. Um, I think most of all today, even whatever your belief system is, Jessica makes the great case that uh, sometimes we don't know what to do. And talking to God is a great place to start. And talking to safe people is a great place to start. So know that. And I welcome you to that journey wherever you're at. And Jessica, has all of her information in the show notes for you. We're so grateful to be able to do this together. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show as well as anyrambinmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, 
and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.